Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, how are you today, Emily? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, before we got going, we were talking about this uh, female cardboard cutout police officer at our local yes. grocery store yes. and uh, laughing about the uh, the lengths that uh, stores are going these days to um, <laughs> make us feel secure, <laughs> safe and secure. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, we'll have a picture of that, of course, yes. on our Instagram or our, our website that you can also take a look at it and maybe name our cardboard our cutout, doll. Yeah. our paper doll, yeah. our security system. Anyway, so here we are back at the studio recording. Yes. Another week has gone by. Fresh new bottle of wine. Nicely chilled and ready to go for and, today. Right, and a new friend, not a new friend, but a, a new guest with us. Anne is not like, you know, I didn't just find her outside and she became my friend. She's been, a, we've <laughs> you, been friends for a while. You're, you do make instant friends. I do, though, so I do. But Anne Austin yeah. is joining us today. How are you, Anne? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, so. I am so glad that Anne is here with us because I only had the pleasure of hanging out with her one time during a zombie prom. That's right. Which was a fantastic <laughs> evening. But I kind of expected you to look a little more dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what the best part of that night was? A cocktail. That I got at the bar. Yeah, I don't know if you got any of the cocktails. So, which one did you get? I don't. Well, I don't really know. I think it was like an old fashioned. But I'm telling you what, for twelve bucks, I would go back there and just get that cocktail. And And it is so was so so good. The the location we had the zombie prom was at the Monocle in the Grove here in St. Louis. So, if you're listening Mm. and you want to try that fantastic old fashioned, you can probably ask for something like that. Something else like. Professor Brown something, but yeah, it was pretty mm, tasty. Yeah. It was yummy. How many did you have? Only one. Only one. <laughs> Are you sure? No, but no I craved it. Ever since. No judgments here. I, yeah, and oh. I, I tried to recreate it someplace else, and it was not good. Are you mm. making plans, like trying to figure out a yeah. reason to go back to the I monocle, yeah. like looking in the online? Oh, this event, am. sure, yeah, I, 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 uh, I relate yeah. to them. I the Definitely. next time somebody says, "Hey, let's grab a drink," I'm like, "Let's meet there." Absolutely, yeah. that's well, how it usually is. But today, well, I'm sorry, I don't have an old fashioned for you, Anne, but I do have something really delicious. I have a rosé. It is made by the producers Domaine Saint Damien. Damien. I know I need to work on my French pronunciation a little bit. Yes, our listeners it's, are very uh, judgy, I'm sure. <laughs> it comes from the Gigandas region. And Gigandas, I've been a huge proponent of Gigandas for many, many years now. It's like a cousin to Chateauneuf de Pop, which, you know, is getting more and more expensive each year. So Gigandas being a little cousin to Chateauneuf de Pop is not quite as well known yet. And you can still get really, really fantastic bottles for the price point that we like to stay in. And I was really excited because I've never seen a rosé um, from Gigandas. So um, that made me extra intrigued on this one. This is a 2017. I think it's quite lovely. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I kind of feel like I taste a little watermelon, a little wild strawberry, a little cherry on this one. And it just has that really nice mouthfeel of the region. What do you think? Well, Emily, <laughs> Emily and I discussed how Uh-oh. she describes wines <laughs> versus how wines I describe wines. 
And this Jigen Das is a brand new Victoria's Secret panties wines. Definitely. You know? Yeah, it's very this elegant. Is, this Explain is that, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, like, it's an elegant, you know, a little sexy, mm-hmm. not just your granny panties and pop over the cork and <laughs> <laughs> sit back and eat Oreos along with it. You know, mm. it's like that. That So that's how I describe wines, listeners, yeah. you know. Um, but you're welcome to taste a hint of watermelon. <laughs> Or Victoria's Secret panties, you or, know, you know, yeah. brand new Victoria's Secret panties. <laughs> so, what's your? I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit older than you, gals, and so I keep saying, "Oh, it's the rebirth of the rosé," okay. because yeah. when I was growing up, rosé was like the gallon. Oh yeah, Lake Country red crap. The gallon. My yeah. father would buy my parents and, too, and, and in they the would box. drink it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh, the, no, it wasn't jug. even a box. It was a jug. It was a green jug. jug that Dad kept like many in the basement. <laughs> yeah. And and it was. It, I don't think it was really high alcohol. But then what they would do with these is at the holidays the kids could have some, but they watered it down, so you had a half and half. So I was used to drinking oh. half rosé. Mm. And so I'm now relearning rosé. But I've seen it pop up here and there. And like this is like the new groovy thing. Kind of like the, the Zinfandels yeah, when and the, that, yeah. the White Zins and all that came yeah. out. Yeah, I'm like, well, it's a new mm. thing now. So. Well, we definitely yeah. have a lot more rosés on our list of uh, wines to try oh, yeah. during uh, during them. Clearly Speaking, the podcast. Mm. We have that. We have a ton of things, which is good. We kind of stick in the same price range. I have to say, I've never tried a rosé with a critical mind. <laughs> it was always with, how much of it can I get down before mom and dad notice? <laughs> you know? It's like, I have to stop and drink this kind of slowly and think about it. Right. Well, it's nice. I mean, that, but... Definitely above, it's a far step above the Franzia box wine, oh. which was my first exposure to pink wine. You know, it was like, yeah. oh, is it red, white, or pink? You know. Yeah. Is this the same thing as blush when people order kind blush? Kind of. Kind oh, of. The blush, even though, you know, I remember my parents and grandparents ordering that at the restaurant. So I knew a girl that kept the box on the top shelf of the refrigerator when she came home from work. She stood underneath of it. <laughs> like a guy. She did. And I was like, she got really good at it. She said at first it was a little messy, but then she got really good at getting it to like just hit. And then she realized if she turned around with her back to the refrigerator and she did it, it the arc was just perfect. No spillage. Yeah. I never saw it though. No. But just the stories. Like, oh Aww. my God. Well, sometimes yeah. you just need you just need uh, a little yeah, hit of yeah. the wine to make it, you know. I mean, this is why we're doing the podcast. Make it through dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it gives us a reason to drink the right. wine, you know, a justification to drink it, other than you know, sitting at home with my bag of Oreos on the couch and my jug of Gallo wine or something. Bought some lottery <laughs> tickets over the weekend at a thing and lottery tickets, raffle tickets. I uh-huh. won the woman's night basket. Really? What so much liquor. There? It's not even funny. <laughs> I mean, they had to get a cart to take it to my cart. It was too heavy. Okay. Yeah, four bottles wow. of wine and all these little liquor things. I have no idea what to do with Party them. It was like you drink them. Yeah. Movies, games, crackers, cheese, big, big sausage things. Um, <laughs> all things to do your nails with, some facial stuff. Wow. Um, some oh, smelly candle, uh-huh. which I'm not into. It was a $30 candle. Little pumpkin dishes, wine oh my glasses. Gosh. It was, nice. was humongous. I mean, I took pictures and sent it to my neighbors. 
Thank you for coming over. Look what I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet you that's going to come in handy after after this week. Um, I know we like to keep things light and fun here on uh, Clearly Speaking, the podcast. But when this episode actually is released and launched, you know, there will be decisions will have been made and and the outcomes, we will all know what it is. But we kind of want to share a little bit of how our reaction to Thursday's uh, hearing with Dr. Blassie Ford and uh, Supreme Court nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh. So I will let maybe one of you start first, and I don't... Uh, I listened to it at yeah. work, and I actually recorded it and watched it nonstop when I got home. Okay. Her testimony and his the next day. My reactions, having been around people who have denied their wrongdoings to me in relationships, mm-hmm. is those people come out screaming, fighting, pissy, moany, poor me, blamed me, you know. And mm-hmm. the posture that he took was very much what I would consider the posture of somebody who's hiding something. I would have to agree mm-hmm. with you. That yes. was my reaction to him, yeah. too. She was She was the person who allegedly had this happen to her. She was very level. because she's a trained counselor. She's a psychotherapist. She works therapeutically with people. So I'm sure she had some of that ability to maybe separate a little bit from the emotion. Plus, I think her memory at the time wasn't as strong, you know, these years later. But I was shocked at how he came out. Just somebody said he was playing the Trump playbook, which is to come out and antagonize, to Mm -hmm. instigate, to rile people up, to speak really in raw terms and blame, blame, blame. I don't know. I think it was him. You don't think to, he was play, you think that I was think it his was his role. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, to your point, anytime I've ever been in a relationship like what you're talking about, those those personalities, they get aggressive, they backlash, mm-hmm. they push you mm-hmm. harder mm-hmm. to push you down. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's worked many, many times. You know, that tactic of, oh, you're gonna you're gonna go here, guess what? I can punch harder. Mm-hmm. And eventually what that does, it shuts me down. And I think that that's that's the whole goal of that a tactic. It's how he succeeded. Mm-hmm. You know, if, um, I I listened to it online. I didn't watch it. I've only now seen clips, and, and it's almost worse watching it because his facial expressions, oh. the defiance, mm-hmm. and then sitting back and crossing his arms and like, how dare you? I don't have to dignify you with an answer, you female person who... Uh, but it was very triggering. I felt like I was dealing, listening to, you know, an alcoholic uh-huh. and how they yeah. they and blame. It, They're never at fault. And he turned it back. When Senator Bushaw asked about his drinking, it was that typical turn back on you blame. Mm-hmm. Well, how much do you drink? Yeah. I'm like, no, no, this is right. not about her, my friend. She's right. asking the questions. The other thing I watched very intensely was his wife. She, she was as stoic. And yes. her face just didn't change. And I thought, is this a woman who gets this? Obviously, she gets it at home. Yeah. And I'll bet she's the type that just sort of freezes mm-hmm. as a way to deal with it. Right. I can't yeah, you imagine. you got to put up that stone wall. Yeah. 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 And, or she learned very early on not to react to it. I mean, her eyebrows didn't move. Nothing moved about that woman's face. And I There's think this a is... little bit of clenching in the glo- in the jaw, I would notice. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. But sh- there, sometimes... wasn't, there wasn't a doting, like, oh, no? my poor husband, and I support you. There wasn't that look mm-hmm. in her face. There was no emotion. There was nothing. But Mm-mm. you know what? Don't we respond when we're attacked like that? Our mm-hmm. emotions, we shut them off too, mm-hmm. right? If we think about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, you know, it mm-hmm. works to tamper us down and 
and it does, and and it works on an individual basis. But I don't know if they're going to be able to tamper us down collectively. Mm-hmm. It feels mm-hmm. like the anger is so vast right. that we're not going to be able to go backwards. And mm-hmm. I was one mm-hmm. of the things I've been concerned about, how they talked about Me Too as an era, you know, the Me Too era. And that signifies to me that there's an end to it. No, And I don't want to use the words Me Too, hashtag Me Too era. era. It mm-hmm. is, it's a watershed moment and we're not going back. No, because the Me sense. Too started for me personally when I was 17. That's three eras ago. Four years mm-hmm. ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those memories will stay with me for my life. You know, right. it, it's it's part of who I am. Uh, yes. We're sitting around this table. I mean, I have three instances of me too, but being able to say that, like, and mm-hmm. to to talk with other women and and some men that I know, you know, that okay, now we can talk about it instead of like walking around with like mm-hmm. a, a shame that oh wow, if I you know if I can't let them know that I was you know raped because mm-hmm. then they'll. Judge, judge you. Well, I think right. Dr. Blasey Ford gave permission to define things that might have happened to us that we may not have previously thought were significant because right. we learn to pass them off. Mm-hmm. Okay. We learn not to talk about them, but we also learn to tell ourselves don't talk about them because you're damaged goods. Mm-hmm. And in my generation, if you really wanted to be attractive to somebody, you were not damaged goods and you did not want them to know that. You did yeah. not want them to know that you had been violated in that way. You yeah. know, so you just, you didn't talk about it. Plus the humiliation of the act itself yeah. was just yeah. so, oh, that you didn't want to go back there. Damaged goods, yes, but I always feel like somehow, yeah, it's your fault. Right. That mm-hmm. that's for what me, we that's what we were told. Every every Me Too incident I've ever had where I've tried to voice something, it all came back as a risk of losing my job. I put myself in a precarious situation, you know, and my fault because of how I looked or you know, drank so, too much. Right. Should have known better. You shouldn't have been drinking as much as you were drinking. Right. You See, know my first incident when that happened, I knew very clearly that it wasn't my fault. There were so many things I could tell you about it that I knew immediately it wasn't my fault. But I still, I mean, I, I didn't tell my parents at first. Mm-hmm. My co-worker the next day saw my hands were scraped. And she wanted to know how I get my backs of my hands scraped. Well, it was from fighting this guy off, right? And she made me tell my parents. Wow. And um, boy, That I must did, have been hard. How did, did how, yeah, how did they respond? Not. My mother <laughs> my mother wanted me to call the boy and invite him over to the house, and then she was going to shoot him in the front of the house. <laughs> oh she was going to get this old shotgun that my dad had. That, we didn't have any bullets in the house, but I mean, she was going to get the shotgun out, and I was to get him into the house on our property, right? Yeah. And then she was going to take the shotgun and kill him in the foyer. I'm like, no, mom, no, no, no. It was Christmas Eve on top of it. I mean, <laughs> oh, my I, I goodness. Mean, as much as that poor woman can't remember, I remember details, but yes. this is going to segue into what we're going to talk about okay. tonight. Okay. My hippocampus probably is much more developed than the normal person at that age, because hippocampus, what is the hippocampus? It's, it's a, a real deep down in the center of your brain, almost like right on top of your brainstem. Okay. It's where your thalamus is and all that, you know, your hormonal stuff goes on. Okay. Yeah. And because I can remember things back when I was two years old. I have very vivid wow. memories. So mm-hmm. my incident, unlike hers, I remember what I was wearing. I remember exactly what day it was. I remember what I ate. I remember what I threw up later. Yeah. I remember extreme details mm. about it. So yeah. Yeah. I, I remembered the details of mine too. Yeah. Um, but and I didn't I didn't 
I you know, didn't tell my parents. I wrote my book and my uh, my dad called me after he uh, read the book and he said, I just need to know, is, did this happen to you or my sister or any of my granddaughters? And, and mm. I said, well, dad, it's fiction, but there's parts of it. He was pretty upset about it. Has that changed how he relates to me? I don't know. He lives in a different city. When I shared it initially with my girlfriends, they didn't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. And it was like I was really wanting somebody to tell me that I was okay Mm -hmm. and to say it wasn't your fault and you you did the right thing. But it was more like we just didn't have a skill to verbalize comforting each other Mm -hmm. like we do Mm -hmm. now. Because we were young. Well, this was just, you know, this last one was just eight years ago, you know, so it's like way things. The dialogue's changed. The dialogue has changed. I think I was lucky because the woman that I told at work was probably about four years older than me, but she was an only child and her parents were just so good with her. I mean, she put the fear of God, you have to tell your parents. And, And I did go home and tell my parents. Um, yeah. Did you press charges or anything? No, no, I was just mortified. I wouldn't let them do that. But my mother, years later, Mm. found that this guy became some kind of a minister, and she got his phone number of his church of some sort, and she called him and said, I hope you never have a daughter, but if you do, I hope she gets treated the way you treated my daughter. (laughs) Then she hung up. So it it, it was her version. Really angered her. Yeah, Yeah. it was her. She really wanted to do something to that kid, right? She felt helpless. Yeah, yeah. She felt helpless. Well, I love our conversation, how it's (laughs) flowing, but I feel like we need to take a tiny little break. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. A little little glass, a little drink. A little drink, and we'll we'll come back, talk some more with Anne and Emily. Hey, welcome back, uh, guys. I had to take a little drink on them. Glasses um, are filled back up. My glasses are filled I back know. up with this wonderful Jig and Das, my uh, Victoria's Secret mm-hmm. uh, brand new panties uh, line. <laughs> you know, splurge. It's, just, it's like when you buy brand new sexy panties at Victoria's Secret, it's like you're splurging on yourself. Yeah. So drinking a Jig and Das is like you're splurging on yourself. It is special. That's I what agree. I was trying to say. Oh, that, yeah. Now it makes complete and total sense. After your first glass of wine, <laughs> suddenly you can speak so much more clearly about it. It is, uh, yeah. what is they call it? Something about the gods, the, um, mm-hmm. what, the truth serum? Oh, the there you go. Nectar of the gods, yes. you know, and you can always speak, speak much better. But anyway, prior yeah. to taking a break, we were discussing... Allegations against Judge Brett Kavanaugh and Emily, Mm -hmm. um, you were saying? Yeah, I, you know, to kind of just circle back, and I'm not sure how long we want to hover on this topic, but the thing that strikes me is interesting that I don't hear many people talking about is, in a sense, this was his job interview, right? right? Look how he behaved. Like, is this somebody that we can really put in a powerful position to actually have rational thinking about really, really important issues? That, to me, I think is enough to raise question. And the fact that there are a lot of character questions about him. Even before the allegations. Exactly. That is enough reason to me to say, there's got to be another candidate out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. Think about what it says to the rest of the judiciary that could have been nominated. Well, I guess I need to have, I need to be a, a liar 
and vindictive and a bully and hateful. The justices on the Supreme Court must be horrified at the prospect. It's like they're going to get a toddler yes. to deal yes. with. They're gonna have to, mm, that they're sounds going, familiar. They're going to have to yeah, run interference with this guy. They're going to have to try to parse out which cases does he get or not. It's going to be a, a real jockeying, I think, should he get confirmed. Now, I'm hearing Lindsey Graham is saying, we're going to go ahead and vote for his confirmation whether the FBI Finds investigation is done or not. And right. But, yeah. Then what kind of mess are we going to be into? Oh my God. Well, and I read yeah. some, I read on Facebook today, somebody had posted something and it was really timely and why they felt that this was so hard on everybody, why there's so much anger about what's happening. But basically, this confirmation process is like we are being raped all over again. Mm-hmm. We're asking mm-hmm. them to stop and they're not. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not listening. Mm-hmm. We are hurting. Yep. We're saying please don't do mm-hmm. this. Please don't do this and they are ignoring it and they're ramming it through. Mm-hmm. They're putting their hands over our mouths mm-hmm. and we're helpless and we feel helpless like you do when mm-hmm. that's happening mm-hmm. to you. It gave me the, the chills when I read it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was much more articulate than I have described I think here. you're spot on with that. I was in a what I consider to be a, a women's only very safe Facebook group and told my truth and my perspectives in relation to what Dr. Blasey Ford had talked about. And a troll came at me. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, stop. This is not about me. This is about mm-hmm. what happened to this woman. And then I went on to say, and what is playing out in real time right now is what has played out in a macrocosm in this country for so many years. You're doing it right now. Yeah, You were trying to silence me and question me right now. Right. I had the same thing happen. It was just like, oh my goodness. Uh, I had posted my... Do you not see what you're doing? Right. I posted my truth on my Facebook page and and a former fellow student of mine from college, he posts on there and he's telling me all the reasons why she's not to be believed. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, you know, I didn't ask for your comment. Mm -hmm. And if you can't respect the pain of survivors, you don't make comments right now. Mm -hmm. And his response was, well, I can because I've been falsely accused. And my reaction Mm -hmm. was... No, you've just asserted male privilege, Mm -hmm. white male privilege, by, again, telling me that the thing that happened to you was more important and you're trying to shush me on my own Facebook page. Right. And I said, just unfriend me. Don't follow me. Just go away. Life goes on. And I said, and maybe I hope you learned from the false accusation to maybe put some safeguards in place that Mm -hmm. you don't get falsely accused again. Lots of, I know. Yeah. Sorry, okay. listeners. We're just, lighten, know. just to lighten this well, up a bit. Yeah, let's hey, just... Did you ever read Lisa Strada? In yes, I did. Okay, why so don't I, we do that? I think about Lisa Strada all the time when these things happen. Yes, so what I happened in Lisa Strada was, oh, um, so the women, I forget, like, Roman. It was like the Trojan War or yeah, something. Yeah, so the women in this play, it's this fiction, and the men would go off to war like they went to their jobs every day, and they would yeah. come home. And so it was like a real regional battle going on. Right. And so the women were just so tired of this whole fighting crap, and so they just said, well, no more sex. Wow. Until you stop and, fighting. And so the men would go out to war and their erections were so huge and painful. And the staging of this thing is actually so comical because they're all in robes and the robes are going, the front, you know, they're possibly, and, and it got so painful that they just could hardly even walk to even fight a war. But the women just shut it down, like, come on, center yourselves back. What's more important, guys, get home. And they eventually did. Wow. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, I yeah. love you guys, this. It's a teeny oh, weeny little play. play. It's, 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 
it's just a little book, and yeah. yeah, just pick it up. It's just really fast. When they do it on stage, they try to drag it out because right. they have the morning let's, men. And, let's know. share a link to that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because I've not read this, and oh, I'm yeah. sure that other people would be interested. It's, so. When uh, I had done some work with a former lieutenant governor of the state of Missouri, Harriet Woods, oh, yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. She passed away probably mm-hmm. within the last 10 years. But and she told me that, and she wrote a book called Stepping Up to Power, and I have it, and it was all about the Nita Hill time, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Year of the Woman. And she said her experience, the reason the Equal Rights Amendment failed to be ratified, and our fine state here didn't ratify it either, uh, was because women didn't know how to be strong in the bedroom to say what they wanted. They didn't know how to be you know, that man-woman intimate time there's so many layers to that. So I many layers. I'm just yeah. like, like, my oh. jaw is... But, I, yeah. but it's like, that is, when you're on your own as a female, how do you stand up? Mm-hmm. And so that's where, mm-hmm. like, ultimately, you know, it, it failed to have the groundswell popular support mm-hmm. to continue through. And hopefully someday... Oh, I'm sure it'll be under Trump's administration. We'll <laughs> no, get the Equal yeah. Rights Amendment yeah, ratified yeah. and we'll all be treated equal and, and there'll be rainbows on every block. Another and, good book is <laughs> Women's Ways of Knowing. Women's oh, Ways of Knowing. Women's, and it's on every syllabus of every women's studies program, but it's it's one of the ones that everybody has to read. It's about the different levels of gaining your voice and how mm. do you form your realities as well as your opinions. And you can listen to people and you say, well, you know, what do you think about that? And if they reference their own thoughts, that's pretty evolved. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, well, you know, the way my church tells me or what my mm. family used to say or my daddy, even worse, my daddy used to yeah. blah, 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 blah. And you can see those levels of growth or not. Right. And yeah. So I can see the the struggle there because having your point of view tied to an expert such as, mm-hmm. you know, an authority mm-hmm. at the church or this author or this philosopher validates your opinion. So, you know, when we struggle to have our voices heard, I can see that being the crutch that a woman might use. But we don't realize that we are the experts. If we've had the experience, we have the knowledge, we have the perspective, it could be that something somebody's written about or done research, but if it's our experience, mm-hmm. or I even have a fairly well-grounded or um, informed decision about it, it's mine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't belong to somebody else. I could cite somebody else, but what I think about that, how I interpret it, then it's mine. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of guts in for some women, and it did me when I started to have a voice, Took a lot of guts to do that. Now I, I could care less. Well, and to be comfortable owning your yeah. opinion, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't always have to be tied to that expert, that church, that mom, that dad, that mm-hmm. you know, that neighbor or your political party. It is your opinion, your your expertise, and and feeling comfortable owning it and saying it and standing mm-hmm. firm while you're being badgered or well, yeah, stuff you, being thrown at you left you and right. You know that somebody's going to come back at you, but if you are resolute in your self-confidence, you can be comfortable with saying, but yes, I do know. Or, hey, you know what? I don't really know that much about it. You tell me. Because along with that goes the ability to say, I have no clue. I do not know. It's something I don't know about. It's that whole spectrum. It's not like I know everything at all. But if I am speaking with some sort of authority or self-conviction about something, it's mine. You know, it, it is mine. Yeah. 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 When when was it that you felt like you had come into your own voice? Was it something that happened or is it an evolution yeah, throughout I remember. time? I re- really? I hippocampus here. I remember <laughs> okay. almost like, I remember almost exactly exactly when it happened. So I was a doctoral student 
And there was a consortium of professors who got together and did some research in the Midwest, a bunch of Midwest universities, and they decided they're going to have some students join their group. And so myself and a few other students were invited to do this. And I was at a meeting in, I think I was at the Ohio State. And typically we would, we had a conference every year and people would submit research papers. And it was a conference that geared towards students also and allowing the doctoral students to submit their research and have a, a, a way to present that before they had to present it for their dissertation their or dissertation. something. Yes. Okay. And so we had to jury these papers. We had to read all these papers and decide yay, nay, whatever. And I remember I just spoke up about some paper. And then as I did it, sort of like you're out here witnessing yourself, uh-huh. talking like, oh, I am like speaking. <laughs> and I'm being heard by some pretty highfalutin people from these big highfalutin universities. And like they're listening to me, right? And so it was kind of like, wow, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, it was a real cacophony of stuff because I remember thinking, am I going to sound stupid or will they accept what I say? And I don't remember what it was about or what I said, but they listened. And they were like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, hmm, you know, because we were deliberating over some papers or something, some, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, that was my voice. That was my, that was me having the guts to just speak up. And I felt part of the group. I felt part of the group. Luckily for me, it was mostly men, but they were very, n- not your typical professor men. You know, they were in school of education, school of okay. counseling, that kind of thing. So they were much more nurturing. Plus, being a student, maybe there was a little bit more allowance. But from that point on, I mean, they always respected me after that. It was mm. it was great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is a pivotal so, moment for yeah. sure. And you, it was a clear skies, smooth sailing ever right. since then, no. right? And every every <laughs> no. employer, every no, relationship. No, no, but I would have to say that I have never been afraid to speak up. Oh, nice. Because I did have a witness moment. You uh-huh. know, I had enough maybe age behind my belt or something at that point to say to myself, "Wow, I did that without fear of what people would think." Mm. And I think that you hit the nail on the head there. Mm-hmm. We worry a lot about what people will think. Mm-hmm. And therefore, yeah. we don't say. Right. We don't speak. We second-guess ourselves. And we never let it out. And there's times that I'll hold my tongue because I think it's probably a smart thing to do. <laughs> but I will contribute. Sure. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah without, without much reservation. Well, we're really glad you found your voice because I love hearing it. (laughs) I Um, wish I could sing, though. (laughs) Well, we were singing the karaoke, the zombie prom. I did backup, though. I mean, yeah. Well, thankfully there wasn't any recording. You, you, no one out there in uh, clearly speaking listening land is going to get one of those. uh, DJ lady was taking pictures. I don't know if she was recording though. I hope not. I hope not. I I like to live in ignorance there. I think this might be a time for us to take what yet one last pause, Uh do a quick little refresh, and when we come back, I want to hear about this. What is it? The hippos. The hippocampus. Hippocampus. <laughs> I want to, you keep mentioning it. So it seems sure. like there, there's more there. Okay, and I, sure. I kind of want to sure. hear what you have to say okay. there. Right. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Well, uh, thank you uh, for that little pause there. Uh, we just refreshed our glasses and I heard a... I heard a little story. Of so I had a little some pre-drinking. <laughs> so this is what happens when I walk out of the room. Oh my gosh! So, um, so I have a sleep disorder. I was talking a little bit about that, and I was just so sleepy all day, just dragging, dragging, dragging. And so beer wakes me up. Mm. So I went home and drank a beer really quick. You like beer? <laughs> I do. I really do. That's why I went drank a beer really quick so I could like get through this because, yeah, beer and alcohol wakes me up. I'm oh, kind wow. of like an upside down backwards 
reality of so sleep. So you're going to be in great shape by the time you leave I here. Know, I'm going to go home and clean. Yeah. <laughs> so is this really, so tell us about your sleep disorder. So I have narcolepsy. I also have what's called REM behavior disorder. So narcolepsy is like being backwards. You're sleepy mm-hmm. all day and awake all night. Not all people with narcolepsy have that nighttime problem. Some of people do fall asleep. Okay, but I don't get sleep pressure. When you guys like would yawn, mm-hmm. and feel like, ooh, I need to go to bed. I do not get that at all. And after about, it's not like a sundowner's thing. After about seven or eight o'clock at night, I lose all sense of time. It could be three in the morning. I just think it's nine o'clock still. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so really it's, interesting. It's, uh, so, yeah. so it's different than like the typical perception of narcolepsy is like what I think of is the person who's like, constantly like falling asleep daytime, randomly during the daytime yeah, yeah. okay yeah. but yeah. at night it's almost like insomnia kicks in right but that's a different thing in itself and that's right. a whole other sleep disorder but it's somewhat of a component of narcolepsy yeah wow yeah. Yeah. and this was discovered or diagnosed at what age oh well so <laughs> they tried to diagnose me when i was eight because I was having clear symptoms at the age of eight, and probably earlier, but it really was pronounced when I was eight. And the testing wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Demet, wonderful man, um, was working on the whole REM thing and um, doing some diagnostic work and figuring out how to use the EEG, brain wave you know, analysis to look at the sleep patterns and the eye movements and those kinds of things. So he's a father of REM. Okay. So that was happening right about the time I was having these problems. So he was 68, 69. It was 68 for me, 1968. Um, So at the time they decided that I was a hyperactive child, which now we would call ADD or ADHD, (laughs) right? Um, And then I had some sort of psychological trauma, which now every kid has psychological trauma, you know? So so what they do, they gave me like these little uppers during the day and these little downers at night. It was 1968. Wow. Yeah. So um, that was pretty much like they would treat a kid with Ritalin. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, And maybe a little sleep aid at night. So that kind of evened things out until we moved. We okay. moved out of that town, and my parents felt, well, she's away from the trauma, which was like we saw this fire, and there was also a flash flood, and they decided that that was it. That was it, yeah. And so um moved, and then I was not medicated, and then I really struggled from that point until I was 38. And so you you take medication yeah. now to mm-hmm. keep yourself with, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, medication oh. and lifestyle. I really shouldn't mm. be drinking. <laughs> but it is clearly speaking a podcast. I know, yeah, I, know yeah, I know, I know. It's conversations yeah, 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 between yeah. women over a bottle of wine. It's so <laughs> awkward when you don't drink with us. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't. It's like peer pressure. We it look be, at you and we're like, really? It You're just work. not going to have like, any? It's like be on the outside looking. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't work. Because there are times that I don't because alcohol does disrupt your nighttime sleep. Oh, It really definitely. does. Alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, big robbers of sleep. I have a well, crazy I, dreams I when I've had... Wine, like I'm tonight, yeah. guaranteed. I'm gonna have crazy dreams. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like it though. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. I do. My sleep is shorter this when is I've why, had alcohol. This is why I decided today why I'm so sleepy is because if I sleep more than five hours, I remember my dreams vividly. Because mm-hmm. I have a like REM helps to consolidate memory, mm-hmm. and so I was talking about the hippocampus, mm-hmm. and so where my defect is is on the the top of the hypothalamus. They call it the lateral aspect of the hypothalamus, and that's where we have our dysfunction. And it, I think it has to be somehow related to the hippocampus because my memories are, are striking. Mm. Like, you know, my, my family members call me and say, do you remember like 1967? I'm like, yeah. Settled I remember when I was wearing my first day of school yeah. in first grade and Mrs. Boynton and what something. she was wearing. And I mean, clearly. So I dreamt last night that I gave birth. I was, I was in labor. So my mom's with me and I'm having like stomach pains. That is pains. so not like, that's not like a pleasant dream. No, well, no, it was kind of weird because I'm like going, <laughs> I was, I went to the hospital with stomach pains and then I was like, oh, 
my water broke. I think I'm having a baby. Okay, so my mom's like, oh, yeah, she's in labor. And here's the killer part. That's, I've never had children in real life, right? <laughs> I was going to say. So here's the killer part. I'm like, I don't think this happened to me the, for the first time I was in labor. <laughs> I saw in this dream. I had, a, I had another kid. So <laughs> Where does this come from? I have God. no idea. Yeah, and you were drinking like, yesterday? No. No, oh, no this Yeah, time. I did have a beer yeah, yeah. with dinner. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's what it was. So what's the most precarious thing that's kind of happened to you that's you know, a result of you maybe falling asleep in a random place or is there any story? I have a few stories. What led me to diagnosis? So I was struggling, struggling, and it got to the point where I had my office was up in Bridgeton. I lived in South County at the time. My mother had to start driving me to work. Mm. I could not. I was having dreams while I'm driving. What they call microsleeps. I'm not like falling asleep really, but sleep is intruding so dramatically that I'm having these little dreams. Uh, And I, I get micro dreams during the day at work. So I'm like doing something. I've spoken out at meetings with a micro dream before, which has been interesting. Is it almost like hallucinating? Well, no, because we do have those at night called hypnagogic or hypnopompic hallucinations. That's a whole other dialogue. Another it's discussion. a whole other podcast. Because it's like, oh, yeah. those are like four-syllable words. This is like Science yeah. Friday. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> so, so, So what I was going, uh, the doctor said, you know, exercise, vitamins, blah, 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 you know, yeah. So, anemia, thyroid, all these doctors tell you certain things. So I'm doing the whole gym thing, and I fell asleep on the treadmill. Mm, and I oh. flew off, and I oh there was gosh. a plate glass winter behind, mm. and I, I just remember hitting my elbow and that poing kind of noise, you know, and there was ladies sitting on the edge of the plate glass window thing, and they were like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, and I was so, so out of it. Picked up my little towel and my little water bottle and walked over to these machines. I was doing this thingy, whatever those that things called, for you. <laughs> the, the little oh, butterfly the butt, yeah, wing, you know, the, machine the, thing. And then I fell asleep doing that, and I went into the locker room, and the staff followed me and asked me if I was on drugs. Oh. And they banned me from going back. And I had won a year-long membership. Oh. I was so, and I was humiliated. I never went back. But I got in my car to drive home, woke up two hours later, still in the parking lot in my car. Was, oh, that's yeah, scary. Yeah. So yeah. that happened. So um, I You didn't was, call the ambulance or anything at that point? No. You just uh, oh, no, woke no, up no. and went home? No, because things like this had happened to okay. me before, but it was getting worse and worse. So that took me to the doctor. Once diagnosed... Um, I did not know I had REM behavior disorder. At a most extreme level is when you kill people in your sleep. You've heard these stories of people who kill people in their oh, sleep. No, oh, not my. in their dreams, but they actually get no, out. No, they actually out. act out, but they don't oh, okay. know. So uh, people will jump out the window. Oh, yeah. Mike Birbiglio. Mike, I know. Yeah, His yeah. stories are amazing. He very much legitimizes REM behavior yeah. disorder. It makes it not so wonky, but it is wonky. People bang up their bedrooms. They bang up their bed partners, which is really bad. So the way I find out that I have it, I'm on an airplane. And that's like, I'm like, you know, late 30s, you know, I was pretty thin and cute in those days. And I'm on this airplane, and I was, you know, this this guy. And I fa- I'm falling asleep because it's daytime right. flight, right? And I bang into this guy. I mean, it's totally right across this guy, like myocardial thump right on his chest, right? And this poor man is like, and I'm, I'm like, sorry, oh. this isn't. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I think I had a dream. What am oh I going to say to this poor man, right? And he was like, oh, that's okay. And then, I Excuse me, stewardess, can I uh, have a different seat, please? No. <laughs> well, there it gets, it gets better. So I did like the Mary Pat thing. I tried to put my fingers in my armpits. Yes. And I tried to hold them really tight, but I, I can't, right? So I wake up two hours later, curled around the 
upper arm of this man. <laughs> oh my gosh. With my face in his, he had a tweed coat. I don't remember oh. what he looked like so much, but he had one of those tweed coats with a patch on the, yeah. on the little thing. And I know that that man probably sat for two hours like, don't move, don't wake her up, don't move, don't wake her up. Because if, he probably thought if he woke me up, I'd come out swinging again, right? You know, so, oh, so yeah. I got off the plane. I, I woke up, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. He goes, oh honey, you must have been really tired. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was. And I called my doctor horrified. And oh, I said, yeah. yeah. So then I got medicated okay. for that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I do have to be careful. So that was right before 9-11. So when wow. I would, back in the days when you called the airlines to make your, your right. ticket thing. So I would always ask for the spot at the back of the plane. And so at one point they said, well, I don't know if we can do that. And I was like, no, I really need to be in the back of the plane. And, you know, they said, <laughs> and, I, and I told them why. And the gal's like, check. Um, you really need not to sit next to people. So they put this on the manifest that I couldn't be sat next to anybody. So I would be in a plane completely filled with people. There are ex, you know, people trying to get on the plane, and there's me in the middle with nobody around me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Nice. I had a, and a I'm grandmother. Try like, to use that with the next time I go flying. I had a grandmother <laughs> completely <laughs> chew me out one time because. Because they're trying to get their grandkids on, and, and I finally said, "Look, you can have this seat next to me, but you have to promise to stay awake and talk to me the entire time." And I will explain to you why after we take off. <laughs> so I did tell her. She was like, uh, and she was like, like, like toothpicks in her eyes, trying to stay awake herself right. so she could keep me awake the whole yeah. time, so that her grand children could get on the flight. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I would have just said, did you watch Silence of the Lambs? Oh, no. I, <laughs> That's so, why I'm sitting by myself. I've never seen scary movies. My parents uh, oh, never, God, probably no, be my parents never let me see scary movies after I think with your, your yeah. REM disorder, I, I wouldn't encourage that. No, no, I, I, I have never yeah. seen a scary movie because okay. uh, from the age eight on, my parents wouldn't let me see that's, stuff. That's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. But yeah. yet you came as a zombie and that's how I know, we met. I had to ask my neighbor, my little neighbor who's six years old, I had to ask Carly, who's convinced that zombies really are real, I said, what, is, what do they look like? And so she showed me these little pictures of it. Oh. Yeah. We were oh going to see her that night, remember? That's right. Yeah, yes. and they were at the balloon race, so we didn't go see them. But right. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. this has been it's a really been... wonderful <laughs> conversation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, thank, thank you, Brett really. Kavanaugh. <laughs> Compliments of Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, because we wouldn't have had anything yeah. else to talk about. Right. Yeah. And thanks yeah. to beer. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And loves beer. Yeah. Brett loves beer. Everybody loves beer. Right. And it's American beer, isn't it? I guess so. It was Brooklyn beer. Yeah. Brooklyn beer. But you'll come back and drink with us again. Yeah, we should talk about sleep more. We'll talk about sleep more, some of your initiatives that you're working on. But... We're out yeah. of, we we're have out. one yeah. spot. Yeah. wine, I know. And we're when, we're, strong. when yeah. we're done with the wine, the podcast is over. Yes, so. well, thanks for joining us, Anne. Looking though. forward. To, cheers. Yes, cheers. Cheers. And uh, follow us, and Clearly Speaking, the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook, Facebook. page, our website. Yeah. Every place that you can imagine, and, you'll find us. And, and, and let us know what you're thinking. You know, we want to hear what are questions that you have for guests that are coming on. Are there topics that you're interested in learning more about? Is there wine that you're interested in sharing with us or have any recommendations we want to hear? Let us know. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye.